Man, we are on our simple gospel series, and we're going to jump into that. Let's just pray real quick and ask the Lord to be with us today. Father, we're here only by your design and by your grace. And so will you give Lewis the words to speak? Because if you don't back them up, they're just words. But when you come into the room like you already have been through our worship, these words are life. So let every word fall and rest on us. Remove distractions. Bring our attention to focus on you, Jesus. Let our hearts be renewed this morning as we come before your presence to hear your word. In your name we pray. Come on, the church say amen. amen. Come on, any, anybody brought somebody with you to church today? Amen. I want to challenge you. I got a couple of you. I want to challenge you to bring somebody with you throughout the Simple Gospel series. Today's Sibling Sunday. We've had a number of siblings here today. Put your hands together for our siblings. Amen. And throughout these next six weeks, we're just believing God to transform lives. We're just believing God to transform lives. Amen. November the 15th, 1992, and I'm aging myself here, and that's all right. Part two of one of the greatest movies ever came out, and it was Home Alone Part Two. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I have to recognize that a lot of our church wasn't even born in 1992. I told the first service, I get so surprised when somebody tells me they were born in 2000-something. I'm like, what? What? People can still be born then, right? It's just so weird to me. I'm getting so old now that, and some of you older folks are looking at me like I'm crazy, but I look back, and, and you have to talk about these movies. Let's say if I'm talking about a movie, now i got to build the context out because some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I mentioned The Fresh Prince a couple of weeks ago, and y'all were like, huh? <laughs> so now i got to build this out for you guys. Praise the Lord. So Home Alone Part 2 is kind of just like Part 1, where this horrible family keeps on leaving this poor kid Kevin at home while they all go on vacation. Now, this is a good, wholesome movie where, where Kevin, played by Macaulay Culkin, one of his only great movies ever, praise the Lord, right? Poor Macaulay. He keeps on encountering these two thieves who try to break into his part one, his house. And the whole movie is the funny thing about it is he sets all the booby traps to catch these thieves, right? To trick them. And that's like the whole gist of the movie. And in part two, the poor kid is stuck in New York City and he keeps on encountering that bird lady. You know what I'm talking about? The bird lady. And then he encounters again those same two thieves who have served some time, and now they're chasing him all around the city, and he ends up kind of like having a, a, a fight with them again with all his booby traps in this old New York City brownstone-style house. Now, if you remember the movie, if you saw it, the two bad guys' names were Harry and Marv, and they were just dumb, and that's what made them so funny was they were so dumb. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got that friend in your life, right? Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, right? And so the ironic part is that there's a certain part in the movie, that's my favorite part. I can watch this part of the movie every single, I can watch it a hundred times in a row and laugh every time. It's when Marv finally reaches the top of the stairwell in front of the brownstone. And he opens the door and he exclaims to his delight with all authority he could possibly muster, Harry, I've reached the top. Anybody remember that part? It's my favorite part in the whole movie. What he fails to realize, as you and I both know, is there's no subfloor where he's about to step. 
and he falls right flat on his face into the basement. And we all get a good laugh as he cracks his neck and he's just like, and it seems like he gets it the worst out of the two, poor Marv. He definitely gets it the worst out of the two. But I love that story for what we're talking about today because how many of you have ever felt like you have reached the top only to fall flat? Have you ever felt like you have reached the pinnacle of something only to fall to a place where you're like, how did I even get to this place in my life? Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. He's actually the son of King David. He writes in Proverbs 14, 12, he says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it only leads to death. There's a way that seems right to us as humans, but if we follow that path out over the course of our life, it does not lead to more life. It leads only to death. Have you reached the top of something only to fall flat? Maybe you reached the pinnacle of your career and you're still empty. Maybe you have all the financial success and your bank account is full, but your heart is empty. Maybe you've gotten the marriage, but now it's hanging on by a thread and you wanted it so bad. Maybe you've gained so much and then lost it all, and you're sitting here today navigating a season of loss. Many of us are like poor Marv, who we reached the top only to find ourselves hitting rock bottom. See, in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a story that speaks of a young man who reached the top really fast, only to find out that he was in a losing situation. I want to challenge every person here today that in any area of your life where you're trying to get there apart from Jesus, that it will not lead to life. It'll lead to more issues, more problems, and more devastation. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse 11. And listen to what Jesus says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, somebody say everything. everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he said to him, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted cow because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. Be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to talk to you for a few minutes on this idea of what it means to truly reach the top in your life. Now, in this story that we just read in the book of Luke chapter 15, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus has been criticized because Jesus is hanging out with the least of these, the sinners, the lost. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, those being the religious people of Jesus' time, they might be the churchgoers of the time. They were criticizing Jesus, saying, yo, you're hanging out with all these sinners, and you shouldn't be doing that because they were so righteous in their own mind, they did not know how to go after those who were far from truth. Like many Christians today who do not understand what it means to really reach the lost, and we demonize everything that we don't understand, and everything is the devil. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. I'm here for the lost. I'm here for them. And so in response to their criticism, Jesus tells these three parables. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep, where there's these 90, there's 100 sheep. One leaves, and the shepherd leaves in 99 to go find the one. We all know that parable if you've been in church, right? And you always, he leaves in 99 to get the one. And we sing it in the songs, right? We're so happy about it. Then the second story, we don't have songs about this one, where they, they lost a coin, and they find this really valuable coin. And the Bible says when they find the coin, they call their friends and they have a party because they found their money. Have you ever lost some money? Yeah, see what I'm talking about. I, I like finding money that I didn't know I lost. Usually my wife does that. She finds it in my pants, in my pocket somewhere. Because I hardly ever have cash on me, ever. But when you just put on an old pair of pants, oh shoot, I got $5 up in here. You start spending it. What can I do with this $5? In each of those cases, something was lost and someone went to find him. In the story of the prodigal son, a son was lost, but nobody went to find him. And so Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees and he's saying to them, will you be the ones to go after this lost son? That's the gist of this story. Now, we can't overlook the fact that this story is actually not about one son, but about two sons. And the first one presented to us is the older one who is a great son. He's a good boy, and he is due a double portion of his father's estate. He gets two-thirds just for being the oldest. So the oldest kid gets two-thirds of the inheritance. They get a double portion. If there's four kids, right, you don't divide it, you know, 25, 25, 25, 25. The Bible says the oldest one gets a double portion. I remind Aria of that all the time. Don't worry, baby. You're getting a double portion. Why does she have this? Because she gets double portions. That's why she's the oldest. And this guy looks like he's the model character, the model citizen. But then you got the younger boy. 
the younger son, he goes to his father, and you got to understand the times and understand the days of the Bible where you would not go to your father. Even today, it's, it's pretty disrespectful to me. Hey, give me what would be mine if you died right now because I want my portion of the inheritance. I want to live my life, and I want to do whatever I want. This young man did not want to go through the process of life. He wanted to reach the top as quickly as he could because he had his own plans for his life. Now, I remember being young, especially, where I thought that I knew everything. And I had my own plans. I was going to move up by the time I was 18. I mean, the moment I get me a job, I'm out of here. Until you realize that when you try to leave, there's these things called bills that follow you everywhere. I wish I had a witness there. Stay with your parents in Jesus' name. So here goes this young son, and here's what the Bible tells us, that what he does is the moment he gets everything, that he moves away from his family. He says not many days after he gathers all of his belongings, he moves away from his family to a far country. And that tells us two things. Number one, in essence, what he's saying is he disowns his family. He breaks relationship and disowns them because he has his own life he wants to live. And we know this because... The Bible says that the father later on says, my son who was dead is now alive. In Jewish customs, they would, they would treat you as you were dead if you disowned your family. If you dishonored your father, you were treated and cast out of the family. And this young man, he comes and he just wants to do whatever he wants to do. But the one issue with his problem with his life is that none of his plans involve the Lord. And how many of you know that any plan that does not involve God will always lead to ruin in your life? We read a story like this, though, and we say to ourselves, well, maybe I don't have much in common with the prodigal son. That guy's nuts. Well, many people grow up in church and in the faith, but you only stay faithful until your parents can't make you go to church anymore. And you are just coming back from a hiatus in church, and you had to reconnect with God because when you came of age, you left the Lord. Many people are trying to get a better job, and you will pray for the job, pray for the job, and then you get it, and then you don't go to church because you're too busy working now. You pray for the house. You pray for the family. You pray for the wife. You, you ask God for all these things, and the moment you get what God wants to give you, you let go of God. Don't worry, but that's never happened to you, but maybe the person next to you. Can we be honest for a moment? How often do we leave God? How often do we only seek God in times of crisis? How often do we only seek God in times of great need? But then when things are good, we're kind of just, yeah, my prayer life can be better. Are we the younger son in those moments that we make life plans that don't fit into God's hands? That we make these plans that are void of the Lord in our life? And I want to point out these three things to you. Here's point number one, that plans void of God lead to loss. That any plan in your life that does not have God in it will lead to loss. Whether it's your relationship, whether it's your, your job, your career, you can get to the pinnacle of everything and realize that nothing even matters without God. The Bible says that this young man, he reached the top, and here's what he, find out. he finds out, that it doesn't matter because he spends all that he has. When I look at that, when it says he spent all he had, he didn't just spend his money. He spent his time. He spent his resources, yes, but he spent his opportunities. He spent his mental capacity. He spent his purposes, his talents. He spent his body. He was living a reckless and drunken life. <clears throat> 
He squandered everything that his father had given him. He spent it all. Have you ever been given something by your parent and it burned a hole in your pocket? My kids are like this, where Myla is a saver. Aria, not so much. Myla, we, I mean, Emmy, we haven't figured her out yet. <laughs> Myla still has like 200 some odd dollars from two birthdays ago. And she always reminds me, it's in your wallet. It's in your wallet, daddy. Aria has stuff spent before she gets it. I got stuck with this, 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 ugh, this cursed Roblox. All the parents know what I'm talking about. And my kids talked me into a monthly subscription. And you know what? They were doing really good in school, so I, I gave it to them. They got hundreds on their test, and I, I gave it to them as a reward. Right? But I tell them, I said, hey, whoever at the end of the month has the most Robux left in your account, I'll double it. Because I want to teach them the principle of saving. Aria, zero every time. <laughs> Aria borrows from her sister. <laughs> like she has a debt going with her sister. Would you give me 5,000 Robux? Because what I want to, I want to build this house. And then she tries to sell the house that her sister gave her the money to build back to her sister and gets mad when she don't want to buy the house. That's the kind of kids I got. Have you ever had somebody give you something and it burns a hole in your pocket, especially when you were younger? This young man is the epitome of that. It burns a hole in his pocket. He burns through it all, and what he finds out is that the way that seemed right to him was a road to death, not to life. That when you're young or older and think you're young, and you live your life in such a way that doesn't honor God, it always leads to ruin and death. And it's amazing that some people think you're killing it because you have material things. But look what the Bible says in Revelation 3.17, a rebuke that Jesus gives to people. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jeez. He's talking to a Laodicean church who is extremely rich materially, but spiritually they are bankrupt. What does it matter if you got the newest shoes, the nicest gear on, but you are spiritually bankrupt? Jesus calls that being naked. Proverbs 19, part B says, but he who pursues evil will die. You knowingly go after sin. You knowingly live a life that you know doesn't honor God. Even though you were brought up in the faith, you were brought up in truth. Have you reached the top but found out the top is a very low place? It's a very low place. We think of all the celebrities and superstars who still, at the pinnacle of everything, still commit suicide, still are stuck in drunkenness and drug addiction. Well, why? Because material thing can't bring, things cannot bring fulfillment to your heart. This young son, he reaches a place where he has not only lost everything, but he's sunk so low. He's a Jewish man. He shouldn't be in the field with pigs at all. He shouldn't even eat or touch pigs. Now he's feeding and caring for pigs. And then he begins to want the food of pigs. It is such a low place when you begin to want the food of that which you, are, you know to be unclean. And some of us, we know before Christ touched our life, we sunk so low, we craved these worldly things. He found out what Jesus said in Mark 8, 36 to be so true, that what does it profit a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? The young man was living this life of sin. And we see later on, that he was living a life of drunkenness and prostitution. 
living a wasteful lifestyle. He was living a life of sin. And sin is this, by definition, sin is missing the mark. It's anything in our life that transgresses the law of God, the moral law of God. It's when we do things that are outside of the word of God. And every single one of us has sin. As a matter of fact, the apostle John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth of God is not in us. Each and every one of us has an issue of sin. We get it from Adam and Eve, they fell, they sinned, and we all inherited that sin from them. And that sin creates a debt, and it's a debt that we cannot pay. We are broken. We're living in an imperfect world. We are imperfect people serving a perfect God. We have nothing of perfection to offer God to pay for this debt, this sin. I use this silly example all the time, but it's so true. We're born with sin so much so that nobody has to teach a small kid to lie. They lie by themselves. They lie about the silliest stuff. Did you make that mess? I didn't make that mess. Who made the mess? The dog made the mess. But why do you have chocolate on your face and the dog doesn't? Because he's good at cleaning it up. They'll make up any lie in the book. Did you do that? They'll be in the middle of doing that. What happened? I don't know. Did you do this? I don't think so. <clears throat> because you don't have to teach a kid to lie. But here's what I'll tell you, is that as you get older, when sin is left unchecked, it begins to govern and rule your life. This young man, he's stuck in a place of sin. Some of you might be stuck in bondage, stuck in sin. Luke 15, 17, but when he came to himself, in other words, when he finally had a moment of clarity, he looks and says, what have I done to my life? Have you ever sat back and been like, yo, how do I make this mess? He's having that moment. He's disowned his father, dishonored his father, abandoned his brother, abandoned his family, and he resolves in his heart, I'm going to go back, and he's got a whole plan. I'm not going to ask to be a son. I'll just be a servant because I know that what I've done is wrong. You see, repentance is not just the act of going to God and repenting. Repentance starts when you begin to be convicted about the sin in your life. As a matter of fact, repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is, is really this. I'm changing my relationship with sin in my life. I'm changing my mental capacity about how I think about sin in my life. Here's point number two, that repentance is the beginning of true reality. And I want to tell every person in this room, if you've not, I don't care if you've been saved your whole life or just first time in church ever or first time in a long time, if you have not addressed an area of sin in your life, you are not living in reality. You're not facing reality. So many people are not in touch with this reality of the issue of sin, whether it's pride or self-sufficiency flawed thinking. Maybe you're in church and you got these issues as well. You see, this man was not thinking right. He thought that he knew what he was going to do. He was going to crush it at life, but then he finds out years later he's just made a mess of himself. We all need that moment of clarity, that moment of repentance where we're able to say, you know what, God, I, I want to change how I'm living my life. I want to think soberly. And so this young man in this attempt to think soberly of himself and of his life, he heads home to go repent to his father. And I, I love this story because the Bible says that the father sees him coming from a long way off. 
And he begins to run after his son towards him. And you may not know this, but for a man, a father, an older man in the Jewish custom to pick up his robe and run was completely unheard of. Absolutely disgraceful, but he didn't care because he knew that if he didn't get to his son at the city gates and the other people who knew who he was got to him, they might beat him. Because he would be judged right at the gate for what he had done. But he goes and he gets his son. And here's what you got to know. The son hadn't repented, but he was already accepted. And many of us need to understand that just the way you are might not be acceptable, but God accepts you right now as you are. It might not be that how you are is good, but he accepts you. Because he wants to give you the grace and the space to change. The father gives the son a ring, a robe, and shoes, and they all symbolize so many things I can't go into, but here's what he's saying. You're back in the family. You're back in the family. And the son tries to give his preconceived, you know, his pre-set-up kind of rehearsed confession, and the dad's like, stop it. You're back in the family. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because here's what we got to understand. Here's point number three, that God's plan is restoration, not condemnation. That when you come to the house of God, God's desire is not just to beat you down and send you to hell in a handbasket. His desire is to restore you because he's punished Jesus on your behalf. Jesus has paid the price you could not pay. But here's the thing. The father wasn't the only one waiting for him at home. There was an older brother And here's where we got to switch gears for a couple of minutes here. You see, in the church, we have many older brother type of people. Maybe you never left church. You did everything you ever felt that God told you to. But you look down on the younger brother types. You look down on those who have left church. You'd be like, hmm, I ain't like Carlos over there. At least I'm still going to church on Sundays. I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not like this. And we begin to look at our salvation as only our own and we don't look at anybody else. Listen to the conversation this older brother has with his father. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He was angry and he refused to go. I want to to just stop right there, actually, because there's so much even just in that text right there. This older brother was in the field, and that symbolizes he was doing the work like many of you are always in church. And I want to challenge you that, that because you're always in church, the way you are and your attitude towards people outside of church is the very reason you can't bring a sibling to church. It's the reason you can't bring a neighbor to church because they know who you really are. They don't mind going to the church you go to because you're judgmental. You use the Bible as a bat for them. You beat them over the head with it. But you don't love on them. You don't care for them. This older brother, I want, you might not realize this either. The reason why he's so mad, especially at all the stuff being given to the brother is, is because it's his stuff. Because what's left, the two-thirds, it's his. He's mad about it. Why are you giving him my robe? 
Why are you giving him my ring, my shoes? Why are you giving him my calf? And so the, the question becomes for this young man who seems to be the model citizen, now we find out that he's a hypocrite. Doesn't have the heart of his father, he has the heart of himself. And that the moment he sees the father blessing the other son, it's like many of you church folk, I'm gonna get on y'all right now. Well, what about me, Lord? When's my blessing coming? I'm happy for Pastor, I need a breakthrough. I'm happy for Pastor David, but what about me, God? He got another kid? I ain't even got a spouse yet. Really? Yeah, y'all, y'all know y'all be thinking, you want to be happy for people, but you're so bitter you can't nowadays. You're an older brother. You're like the Pharisees who don't want to see the lost come to Christ. During the altar call, you be on your phone when people are getting saved. Because you're just like, mm, what about me, Lord? I got y'all real quick right there, huh? I'm not going to make sure I'm not on my phone during altar call. Praise God. <laughs> this is a sibling rivalry if we've ever seen one, right? That this young man is coming back. And here's, here's the thing. L- listen to what it says. Listen to verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in, meaning to the house. There are many, Pastor David, there are many Christians who are in the field working but not in the house of salvation. And it's by your own doing, by bitterness and anger and frustration with the Lord. And you're saying to yourself, well, God hasn't done this for me, but I don't care about how many folks. Why do they always talk about salvation? Why do we care about people get saved? What about God going to do in my life? I need fresh fire. I cry out for fire. (laughs) But what's God doing in their life is just as important as what you're calling him to do for yours. But when we see ourselves as better and more important, we lose sight of the gospel because God's plan is restoration, not condemnation. And so why should we condemn them? Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus is telling these three parables because of the Pharisees and the other people who were mad that he was hanging out with sinners. This is one of the only open-ended stories that Jesus tells. This is amazing that there's no real... There's no like end to this story. He leaves it open. We don't know if the older brother ever goes in because what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, hey, if you want to come in and be a part of my ministry, you can do it. And so God says to every person who's been in church for a long time, who has no intention of inviting anybody into church at any point soon because you're worried about you and yours, he's like, you can be a part of this too. You can be a part of Simple Gospel. You can go ahead and win a soul if you want. You can do it. But it's up to you. It's open-ended. It's so open-ended. See, this story has two sons and a father. Older son is the Pharisee. The younger son is the lost people. And the father is obviously God's willingness to accept both. But I believe that every scripture should speak of Jesus. And I believe that every story in the Bible should speak of Jesus. So the question becomes to us, is Jesus in this story? And pastor, can we find Jesus somewhere in this story? And the answer is yes. Look at Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Did you see Jesus there? See, Hebrews 9, 22 tells us that can, there can be no forgiveness of sins, no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus, in that scripture, he is the fatted calf. 
because the fatted calf that was killed in this story is in alignment with the sacrificial law of Moses where something had to be killed in order for sins to be forgiven. And then they would eat the remaining part after giving the best and fat portions to God. And so the Bible is trying to show us here that something died for that son to be saved. And I want to tell every person in this room today who's living far from God that Jesus died so that you can come and be alive. That to any who would believe in him, he would take care of your debt of sin. That any who believe in him, he would give you life everlasting. That there is in us an issue of sin. Every one of us has an issue of sin that only Jesus can fix, heal, and pay the price for. So God, in his mercy, he sends a perfect son to imperfect people living in an imperfect world who can give nothing perfect unto the Father. And Jesus lives that perfect life. Thank you for Jesus, God, that I could never live so that God can take the life of Christ and put it onto my life and count it to me as righteousness. Isn't God faithful? Jesus dies on the cross and he doesn't stay dead. He rises again. He's a living savior that each and every one of us have access to. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That any who would come to him, he would save them, restore them, and make them alive. Would you stand with me this morning as the prayer team makes their way up very quickly, very quickly. Isn't God awesome and faithful to give us a way of salvation? Would you do me a favor across the sanctuary? Would you bow your heads? And is there anybody in this room who God's been speaking to your heart, working on your life? Who you understand and you already know that you're in need of salvation. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can? If you know that you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never prayed the prayer, or maybe you have prayed it, but you've walked away from God. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can? Thank you. I see you back there. Thank you. As high as you can. There's no shame in what you're doing today. Come on. But for the sake of the cross, there's a new life waiting for you right here, right now. Come on, I see a few hands up. Here's what I want to ask you to do, and then we're going to move on to our next portion of our altar call. If you want to make a decision for Jesus, I saw you lift your hands. Would you come around the center aisle right here? And we're going to take a moment, and we're going to pray with you, because we believe right here, right now, that Jesus said, if you be ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. But today we're going to make a public declaration for Jesus Christ. If that's you, just come right now. Don't be afraid. Just come right now. And if you're watching online, there are people standing by ready, willing, and able to pray with you. Come on, isn't that awesome? Somebody give God praise. Come on. Come on, there's more. Come on. God's faithful. Now, if you're here today, and over the course of my preaching or teaching, you realize that maybe there's some other areas of your life where you're not living in reality with God, and there's some area of need, I want to invite you in a moment here to come up for prayer. If you need prayer for any area of your life, your marriage, your marriage, 
your relationships, your heart, your healing, your health, we want to touch and agree with you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, you can come down this center aisle and we'll be able to take a moment and pray with you. So let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your house, to reach and to teach, to preach, to worship, to partake. Would you right now, for those who are in need of prayer, those who are in need of a touch of you, maybe there's too much older brother in us that we want to admit, would you help us? If maybe there's people here struggling with bitterness towards you, Lord, over what you've not done, would you give us the strength and the boldness to come for prayer, to see bondages broken in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, the church says amen. If that's you who needs prayer, you come now. We're going to pray for you as we worship here for a moment.